Hey friends, today's episode is brought to you by Engageo, the leader in account-based marketing and sales with their all-in-one solution. Are you familiar with account-based marketing and sales? I mean, if you're selling to the enterprise, to big business, account-based strategies are the new wave of doing business. If you're selling to the enterprise, if you're dealing with multiple decision makers, if you need to close larger deals, then an account-based approach is a necessity. However, While there's a lot of talk out there about account-based marketing and sales, there's very little actionable advice on strategies and tactics you need to take. So our friends at Engageo asked dozens of independent sales and marketing experts, leaders in their fields, to contribute their recommendations about what you need to know to get started with it. And Engageo has compiled the collective wisdom of these experts into a most comprehensive guide that reveals everything you need to know about using account-based strategies to win bigger deals. It's called The Clear and Complete Guide to Account-Based Sales Development. It's free, and you need it. So head over to Engageo.com forward slash Accelerate and grab your copy today. That's Engageo.com forward slash Accelerate. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to Accelerate. Hi, friends. This is Andy. Welcome to Episode 460 of Accelerate where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Let me ask you, are you in a sales slump? Sales just a little bit slower than you want? Well, it happens to all of us, and it usually happens more frequently than we'd like. But if that's the case, you need to visit accelerate.fm forward slash spark to find out how to restart the engine on your sales machine by downloading my step-by-step guide titled How to Spark a Sales Turnaround. It's based on my interviews with over 300 of the world's leading sales experts right on here at the show on Accelerate, where I've taken their recommendations about how to turn around sales and pack them into this free guide that's jammed with actionable advice that you can use right now. So that's accelerate.fm forward slash spark. Download your free copy today. Tomorrow, May 18th, I'm going to be in St. Louis talking at the Drive 2017 conference. If you're in the area, I urge you to attend. There's a great lineup of speakers and workshops that's organized by Jim Eberlin, Amy Cole, and all of our friends over at Top Ops. For more information, go to topops.com forward slash drive hyphen 2017, com forward slash drive hyphen 2017. Okay, we have another great show today. Joining me to talk about sales is my friend and tribe mate, Mike Kunkel. Mike is a widely recognized sales transformation strategist practitioner, speaker, and writer. He's spent 22 years as a corporate leader or consultant helping companies drive dramatic revenue growth through best-in-class learning strategies. And I've invited Mike on to Accelerate because he is one of the most thoughtful people about selling that I know. In his frequent writings, he consistently puts forward a well-thought-out, big-picture, detailed systems approach to selling. The systems approach to selling that forces you really to rethink your own preconceptions about how to get the job done. So looking forward to talking with Mike. Mike, Welcome to Accelerate. Hey, Andy. Thank you very much. Hello, listeners. Uh, I'm glad to be here. And that's a great intro, Andy, just like my mom wrote it. <laughs> she did, <clears throat> actually. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you've been publishing a, a really interesting series of articles on LinkedIn about, I think, titled Transform Your Sales Results with a Systems Approach. So, yes. so define, first of all, a systems approach. Well, I mean, I hate to use the word in the definition, but I think of it as just a sort of a logical, systematic way to set up an organizational environment that supports a particular function or objective. Mm -hmm. 
So you know, it's it's going about it in a in a systematic way. So I think of uh, I, I I can't actually remember now where Andy the I, I first heard that behavior is a function of the person and the environment. It might actually be Kurt Lewin who first wrote that, but I've seen it in a lot of mm-hmm. perform, performance improvement writings over the years. And when you think about that, if you if you find the right person. And then you put them in the right role, and then you create the right environment around them. You have the the maximum chance for success, and that environment is is what I think about creating most often in organizations. I'm mean, Gary Rumler uh, is fond of saying, or was fond of saying, um, that if you put a a good performer in a bad process, the process wins almost every time. Yeah, and with, whether it's process, systems, methodology, those are the things that I tend to try to create in companies to support the selling process, to support the sales management process, to support buying, and make buying easier, so that you can take an average performer. And you know, we all like to think, and studies show that you know, you ask people if they're average or above average, everybody thinks they're above average. But the bell curve teaches us otherwise, right? <laughs> well, now, we're we're going to dig into that, by the way. So, okay, I mean, that, that's a great segue because. Yeah, one of the things that that I want to sort of start off our conversation with is because this relates relates directly to systems. Is that given all the new technology that's that's you know flooded into sales and other fields in the last uh, several years, decades? Um, yeah, we're have a lot more data, right, about oh, what's, yeah. what's going on. And <clears throat> excuse me, and so. Yeah, let's look at some of that research. You quote some of it in your studies. Uh, 61% of new salespeople take at least seven months to ramp up. 43% of sales reps miss quota. And that, that number, you know, we know gyrates, but roughly around 50%. Yep. Uh, 25% of forecast opportunities end in no decision. And I've seen I've seen a report in the last year that had that number as high as 80%. I know. Um, Aon Consulting Firm reports sales turnovers at a five-year high. Uh, Forrester you know, publishes an annual report and saying, you know, B2B close rates continue to drop year over year over the last five years. Um, Frank Cespedes, you know, from Harvard you know, was on the show and said, you know, there's $90 billion a year spent on sales in the United States. $90 billion. So when we take all that together, what's interesting is that it says, look, we're in the sort of golden age of sales. We've got all this insight from the data into what's happening We've got all this great technology to help, in some respects, facilitate communications with with our customers, and yet we're becoming less effective. Right? The data points to sales in general performing less well year over year over year. So, what what's your thought about what's what's happening? Well, it's sales has always been complex, right? Because it involves you know helping human beings make decisions or, you know, in the early days of sales, it was manipulating and, and trying to convince human beings to make decisions. And we've become a much more buyer-focused marketplace today where, you know, sales is trying to help people make new decisions. But that alone is complex. And when you start thinking about the types of problems that we're trying to solve in today's environment and, you know, how complex business has become and economy in the marketplace I mean, it's you know, it's a it is a tough business environment 
today, you look at all of the companies in the Fortune 100 and, you know, look back how many years that they've actually been there or how many that were there once sure. fell off, right? It's, it's, it is, so it's a tough environment. Yet in sales, rather than step back and take a scientific look at that, um, I mean, I think, I think about Tony Robbins sometimes and, you know, people say, Mike, you're a Tony Robbins fan. And, you know, Tony is incredibly logical. He fires people up. He gets people to walk mm-hmm, on calls, mm-hmm. right? But, right. you know, T- Tony said in a book years ago that I read that if you want to f- want to be massively successful at something, find out what the people uh, have done to be successful in that and use them as a shortcut to do what they did. And there's such an incredible sense in that. I don't know that I could say because of that, I started doing top producer analysis. But I realized at some point, hey, I'm doing kind of what Tony did. Because I'd go into organizations, I'd study the top producers inside that company with that product set in that you know, that customer base, the problems they were solving, the environment they were in, and what were they doing differently? It reminds me of John Cotter, who says 70% of change initiatives fail to produce the intended result. Well, you right. know what? That means 30% are, are achieving the intended result. So what are they doing? And we don't seem to do enough of this in sales. We will push harder, faster, longer you know, trying to do the same thing over and over and over and over, almost like Einstein's uh, definition of insanity, rather than step back and, and systematically build an environment that will help their organization do the things that the best sales organizations do. Taking a look at that 30% that succeed or the ones who are getting much higher than average win rates, the best-in-class or world-class companies, and then taking some of the things that they do and bringing them in and implementing them. Now, why don't companies do that? Um, I I think because a lot of times senior sales leaders – are promoted up through the ranks of sales, right? You you do well in sales, and the first mistake is you get promoted to manager without any preparation for being a manager, and then generally you you know work your way up the chain, uh, and you know so there's not a lot of education around the most successful ways to manage sales. Uh, the turnover rate of 18 to 24 months puts an incredible amount of pressure, as just does making the number, right, uh, on senior sales leaders. So there is a lot of knee-jerk reactions. There's a lot of thrashing and, you know, not enough. Now, there are some, right? I mean, I look at, you know, some of the, the stuff that gets published from Sales Benchmark Index, and I look at the people that you talk to, Andy, on this show. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is obviously a lot of good stuff happening, but the bell curve in that middle, that big glob of people in the middle are thrashing about, not stepping back and saying, okay, let me push aside the 18 to 24-month pressure. Let me take a look at the sales ecosystem, let me start to replicate inside my company the things that are truly producing the best results. Let me try to pick the ones that are the 80-20 rule, the 20% of what I can do to get 80% of the results. Let me try to find some low-hanging fruit to give me the runway, to get me past my 18 to 24 months to do some of the other larger things. But let me create a long-term plan and then execute against it to radically improve and transform my sales force. And I just simply don't see or hear about that kind of thinking enough in sales organizations. Well, as one of the issues, though, that that 
a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, that some of what the, the top 20% do, the top 30% do, to your point earlier, it's, you know, this is a complex human to human business, but maybe what they do is difficult to replicate. Well, I think that's true of the top 4%. So I've been doing top producer analysis for about 15 years. And I I remember way back when I was at Hyatt Hotels Corporation, we were using some of Learning International's materials. Now, Learning International came out of Xerox Learning System. They right. became Achieve Global, all of that, right? But the one thing that they did, Learning International at the time, is every five years, they did a global study on what top salespeople were doing. And they used what they learned in that study. Miller Hyman is doing some of the same kind of things today, right? They they used what they learned in those studies to build their programs around those competencies, right? So that you know that kind of that kind of thinking um, does exist and and does happen. Well, is it? I guess part of what I think is 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 a time to really start rethinking fundamentally how we conduct selling in a more dramatic fashion. I mean, there's some things we seem to hold on to for so long that, again, if you look at, look at the data and, you know, being careful to say, look, you know, we're not sure it's, it's correlated or it's causal, but mm-hmm. in nature, but yeah, you, you talk about, you know, does compensation matter? And, and you, you make the statement, you say, of course it does. But if you look at what's happening in the industry, in sales industry, compensation really doesn't seem to move the needle. No, I don't think it's. I don't think it is the system. I mean, of all the systems that um, that exist out there that you can tweak and play with, I have found over the years that if I get four of them, and I call them my fantastic four of sales symptoms, and then I then I pray that Marvel doesn't sue me because I'm a fan. But um, I think of them as the selection system, creating a selling system or selling support system a learning system, and a sales management system. And I think if companies would step back and get those four things right, right, and the order that you do them in your company might depend upon where your greatest challenges are. I don't have a stock recommendation. That would be something that would be you know, individualized. But if you get those systems right, then you can worry about doing the ancillary things around them afterwards and align all of the systems and all of the performance levers in your company. And you know, to go back to your, you know, um, can you replicate? I, I wanted to finish that thought that of what what I've learned in in studying top producers is that the top four percent, and this varies from company to company, mm-hmm. you know, where the statistical break is, right? So it could be the top three percent, the top seven percent, but generally, as I look back at my fifteen years of analysis, there's sort of like a magical cutoff point at the top four percent, which is interesting because that's the top twenty of the top twenty, right? That group seems to be doing things uh, almost by force of personality or magic. And I've found that it's very difficult to take what they do and replicate it. You can, however, try to hire more people like them if you create a profile around them. If you look at the rest of the top 20, which would be the remaining 16% of the top 20, those people tend to be the mere mortals who have figured out the magic sauce, again, in, in that company with those customers, with that product set, in that environment. And if you take what they do 
and you start to create continue stop-start plans compared to the middle, you can tell the middle producers what to continue doing, that they're doing just like top producers. You can tell them what to stop doing because no top producer is doing that. You can tell them what to start doing or start doing differently based on what, how they compare to top producers. And you can create a gap analysis plan to close the performance gaps between your middle and your top. If you get that big group in the middle to move up, magic happens. So, you know, it's a huge lift in results. And I have found that the selection systems, the selling support systems, the learning and sales management systems really support that in helping get the middle moving up. Because like Gary Rumler saying, if you you, you pit a, a good performer against mm-hmm. a bad system, right. the bad system, system wins. wins right. If you create the systems that work, you can then start to take average performers and get above average performance out of them. That's that's what I've seen work. Right, but it doesn't seem like we've ever fundamentally shifted the bell curve in selling, right? We still... Well, the, by and large, no. And by and large, I think the, the bell curve still sits where it's always been. But the companies who were at the top end of it, not all of them were always at the top end, right? Um, you know, And we see companies make strategic mistakes and get themselves out of there. But the ones who are getting there are getting there, I see, through one of two ways – right place, right time, and the company explodes. And then there are those who are sort of doing the Jim Collins good to great thing where systematically they are building the machine to move them into that category. So what I'm saying is why not apply that same thinking about how we would improve sales performance inside a company across the industry and say, "Hey, hey, folks, if you build a selection system, a selling support system, an effective learning system, and a sales management system, and you implement these things, we can then it's sort of like the old saying that the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think we could see a shift in the bell curve. But we're certainly not seeing it today, but it's because not many people or sales leaders or companies are actually trying this systemic approach toward improving selling. Right. Well, let's talk about hiring for a second, because, again, you talk about that in depth in one of your posts. And here's sort of a conundrum as I see it. I mean, you talk about making sure you're using statistically validated psychometric assessments in your part of your evaluation process for candidates. Mm -hmm. But when we look at, at the performance curves, you know, CSO insights, same things. You know, 46% of reps don't make quota. Um, and let's just say it's 50% just to make the math easy. Is, is We have to assume to some degree, don't we? Or maybe built into your assumption is that managers are ignoring the results of these psychometric assessments. Because if they're truly statistically validated, if you hired everybody <laughs> according to the assessment, theoretically you should be getting better performance across the board than you get if they're validated that way. Well, I don't have stats to show uh, what percentage of sales organizations use these tools. And uh, I do know many who use the tools who don't use them effectively. So again, it's it's a matter of how well you can execute um, a great strategy, right? And I would also caution listeners that, uh, you know, they want to go check out these tools um, and they want to understand how to most effectively use them in a selection cycle. 
Uh, I, I personally, and most assessment companies that you speak with, you know, don't use them as an end-all, be-all decision. They don't use them as a completely rule-out factor. They use them to continually inform the selection process to know where to dig in deeper with behavioral interviewing questions or what to look for in simulations or what questions to ask references, right? It, it's generally a, should be a third of the, of the buying decision. Now, having said that, though, right, to clarify back to your question. Third, third of the uh, hiring and, decision, right. Third of the, yeah. A third of the hiring decision. I just don't think that uh, that enough organizations are taking that scientific approach. And when they do, they're doing it somewhat lightheartedly. I've implemented them environments where they were very serious about it. And I've seen a 75% new hire turnover rate drop to 25% in six to eight months. Um, what did you, you see on the outcome side, though, in terms of sales? Uh, well, new hires uh, ramped up twice as fast, and uh, production levels were twice as high. And as when we started to take what we were teaching them, in addition to how we were hiring, and we started to assess the rest of the sales force and use it as a developmental opportunity as opposed to hiring, because obviously they're already there, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we started teaching them the things we were teaching the new hires, we saw radical growth in the organization to the point where year over year, when we did the ROI analysis, the CEO and the CFO were willing to attribute $398 million of growth to the six projects that we had done, part of which was the you know the selection system and using psychometric assessments, behavioral interviewing, uh, simulations, mm -hmm. and the right right kind of background checks to ensure that we were bringing in the right people for the role. Um, and you know at one point that company when I started, eleven percent of the top producers were producing ninety four percent of the revenue. We radically changed that to more of an eighty twenty model. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I do know that it, it, it works. I've also seen it, though, where I've tried to implement those systems, and sales managers railed against them because it didn't align with their gut feel, which obviously wasn't working, but no one seemed to care about that, right? And so, you know, they yeah, would... They, they would had, second, hadn't read they, Daniel Kahneman yet, right? That's right, yeah. They, they, I mean, they would second-guess the tools, and they would fight against the process, and they'd wind up right back in the same place that they were, except then when their reps failed, then they, whether or not they actually used the process, they would blame the process. All right, so you see those kind of self-defeating cycles in a lot of organizations, uh, especially where you don't really have top-down support or the organization has difficulty staying focused and in executing initiatives effectively. Um, when you get it right, though, I you know I've seen you know real results and real transformations occur. Yeah, well, I think sort of the bottom line with this hiring as well as the other systems that you're talking about, the four systems, is that. We have to get beyond this this thing about managing with gut, managing by anecdote, because uh, that this is really one of the things that's really holding us back. I mean, I don't think you. I'm not of, of a mind saying, look, we're going to completely turn it over to to the data because there still is a human aspect to it. But you're foolish if you're not taking advantage of these tools that exist, like the assessments and simulations and things that you detail in your article as part of your hiring process to make a better, more informed decision. Right. And we, we could say the same about tools and process for uh, opportunity management or for strategic account development or anything else we want to aim it at, right? There are, there are tools and processes and methodologies that if we adopt them and we execute effectively, we could radically change behavior and performance in any one of these systems. So one of the other things you wrote about that, that we hear about all the time and we talk about all the time and 
people write about all the time is aligning the selling process to the buying process. Mm-hmm. Logically makes great great sense, but you know, as they talk about saying the challenger customer and other people talk about in their work is is part of the problem is the buyer oftentimes doesn't know what their process is. Right, it's not monolithic. It's situation dependent. Maybe they've never purchased this type of product or service before. So, in many respects, yeah, you know, we can say we're going to align to it, but initially, we sometimes almost have to help the buyer understand what their process is. Well, that's a, that's part of the consulting process that I think sales is becoming. But I would I would say this, Andy. So let's say that you have a a very flexible series of buying processes based on the customers that you're serving. And let's say that, you know, you're you need to be agile and sort of align to those as you go. I think that's becoming realistic and more of a more of a norm. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe in a CRM system, you would have to generically, you know, determine how at least you're going to track your sales process compared to the average buying process that you go through. I think where the magic can still happen, where I don't see this happening today, is focusing on the buying process exit criteria. And if you even at a by generic stage, level, I mean. by stage, right? So, what are the exit criteria for the buyers? And and you know you can get to that at a high level with buyer persona work and buyer journey work, and you can document you know exit criteria and verifiable outcomes. But from a sales perspective. If you're in a deal, you know, and you've got to scope out who the decision makers are, you've got to find out their decision process and decision criteria, and what do they need to see, hear, feel, touch, and believe in each stage to feel comfortable moving forward to the next stage with you. And that may be different for each of your buyers. To me, this is absolutely the crux and real work of selling, and it amazes me that I just don't hear more about it because it removes the superstition of sellers doing things that they think are the right things to do or the thing the latest book told them or the things that their manager wants, and it focuses entirely on the buyers in my deal, what matters to them, what they need to see, hear, feel, touch, and believe and feel comfortable with to move forward with me, and then delivering that for every single individualized buyer to move the deals forward. Uh, if well, you, that's the key it, term, individualized buyer. Right. Because yeah. it, it is going to be different for each of them. Absolutely. And, and in different companies, there will be different political environments, and people will, you know, we uh, thank you, Aristotle, right, for ethos, pathos, and logos, the first sales <laughs> trainer, because, you know, is still today, it's no different. Humans have not evolved as much as we like to think we have. We, you know, if you make a logical argument, um, if you make an emotional appeal, and that logic backs that argument, and you've established credibility, you know, that's how you make an effective case and presentation. And if you do that from the other person's point of view outside in with your buyers and understand you know where they are and why there's pain there and where they want to go and what the positive outcomes would be and you know how do you how are you going to work with them to co-create a solution that will close that gap um, and you can do the ethos pathos logos thing uh, throughout that process um, you, you 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 then finally are not ignoring that as logical as we are in business people still make emotional decisions and we very often don't like to talk about that it's, it's sort of like you know money people get hung up talking about uh, money or budget or cost or things and we get 
we kind of shy away from talking about emotions because, oh my God, that's touchy-feely and I certainly don't want to go there. Uh, yet there are emotional factors and pressures that people feel. I think about something Wayne Dwyer said years ago that struck me. He said, uh, you know, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? And the juice comes out, right? And mm -hmm. why does that come out? It's what's inside. And people are the same way. If you squeeze people, right, whatever comes out is kind of like what's inside. And people in corporate America, people in business today are probably more squeezed in a variety of ways than, than ever before, right? So there are tensions that they're feeling and there are pressures that they're under. And if you can, you know, without being obvious or without doing it to be manipulative, if you can understand that individual in their world and what matters to them and how they're measured and what their fears are and what they want to move toward, right, then you can work with them to deliver the things that will help them get what they want. And, you know, not all of our solutions will magically meet all of those uh, needs for everybody. But if you understand that to the best of your ability, along with all of the other factors and, and decision criteria for each of your buyers, you have a much higher likelihood of success. And you will separate yourself from the pack of other sellers by a wide margin because it's very few people who are truly focused on selling to the whole person. Right. Oh, I agree 100%. I've written about that. I think it's absolutely important. And I think that one of the problems, though, is that, that companies set up their processes, they define their processes, and train people to processes. But, yeah, it's all about asking the customer for something, right? Rather mm -hmm. than investing, serve, and, and building into your process time near the beginning to say, look, we really need to understand this customer to the degree that you talked about terms of how they make decisions, what are the things that are important to them, you know, define our exit stairs, our exit criteria per stage before I really get into the meat of how are we moving them from stage to stage. Yeah. Well, I mean that, you know, I I got into the training <clears throat> profession years ago uh, through being a subject matter expert and being a seller and a manager. And so I didn't have much familiarity with the training profession as a whole. I worked for some guys in a very well-run company at the time who were believed in training, but they wanted to know that there was some kind of result from it. They were getting a return on their investment. So I immediately had to figure out uh, whether what I was doing was working or not, and if it wasn't, why not, and how was I going to pivot, and you know, kind of create a learning lab where you know I got to experiment and keep doing things and tracking results until I figured out what was working. Now, I, you know, I don't mean to disparage uh, the training profession, but one of the things that I learned years later when I started to get out more into the profession and learn more about it as a whole is that people were talking about, oh, we should move from training to performance, and oh, we should get a seat at the table, and oh, we should figure out how we uh, are you know, going to actually make uh, something happen and create ROI for our training projects. And, I, and I, I learned that a lot of the industry wasn't doing that. And I didn't know any better, so I did it out of the gate because that's what my management team was asking for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I made a lot of mistakes, and I bumped to my knees, and I skinned my elbows, and I figured things out, and we pivoted, and we learned together. And they gave me the leeway to do that um, and figure it out. But that's where that's where a lot of these systems that I'm using today started, and then I've been able to refine them over the years and build on the work of others, and you know continue to experiment and implement them and 
you know, that's how these four systems kind of came into um, being documented and for me to be able to talk about them today. It all really started from from that work. And I think that there's there's a lot that's done that in organizations today that's very reactive because of the pressures or because of someone's knee-jerk reaction. I think that uh, uh, Scott Santucci, Brian Lambert, Tim O'Hai, people from the Sales Enablement Society, they refer a lot to random acts of sales enablement, right? Or the sales enablement leaders being the VPs of broken things, right? I mean, they're very often put into difficult situations where they just have to do something reactive to plug a hole. And they're not able to step back strategically and say, let's look at our organization. Let's look at these systems. Let's see where we're strong and where we have uh, opportunity for improvement. That'll help me know where to start. And let me get a plan going about how to improve each of these systems across my organization. And over time, radically drive up performance. Um, and I, you know, I'd like to. I'm going to continue to talk about this, uh, Andy, until I'm blue in the face, um, and until I see movement in this direction. Because I think this is how we are going to elevate the sales profession. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I think that that it's certainly the bulk of it, right? I mean, I still think there's so much work to be done at the individual level right. in terms of just basic behaviors and habits that have to work within the systems that you talk about. Because you can have the systems, and if people's behaviors, habits, instincts are completely wrong, the system's not going to save them. Well, that's true, right? But that's that's where the selling support system and the learning system sort of come into play, is by having the sales process and methodology, uh, by using the technology to support that, and and then by having... Uh, a learning system where managers are engaged to help people remember what they were learned because if you don't remember it, you can't use it. Help them transfer it to the job because even if you remember, it doesn't mean you're going to use it. And then when they use it, it doesn't mean they're going to do it well out of the gate, right? So then the managers can coach them to mastery. And so if you plug in an effective learning system to support the best practices that you're teaching or hopefully that you're teaching, right, based on top producer analysis, and then you have a sales management system in place where the managers get into a, an operating rhythm and part of that includes one-on-one coaching and, and doing it not haphazardly. But using a technique like Rome, right, results, objectives, activities, and methods, what are the results my rep is getting versus their objectives? If there's a gap, what are the activities they're using to get those results and how much of those activities? And then what's the quality or the, the, the methodology or the quality that they're using, right? And so if you take a look at that um, and if you start with analytics so you know where to go coach. So many people go coach randomly. I'm just going to ride with Bob today and we'll see what happens, right? But if you, if you look at a report that shows the conversion ratios across the pipeline on the last the three months or whatever your sales cycle is for top producers, for middle producers, for my team as a manager, and then for Bob on my team. I can look right up the uh, the line, right, to see the conversion ratios, and I can point out places where Bob is not doing as well as even the middle producers, let alone the top producers, or the rest of my team. Now I can say to Bob, hey, Bob, I want to see you uh, with customers between this stage and this stage, rather than I want to ride along with you and coach mm-hmm. you, 
right? And so if you can target that, if you can get the, the other systems in place, right, the system then becomes self-perpetuating, and it does deal with competencies right down to the frontline salespeople and what they're doing um, you know, to, to meet buying process exit criteria and how they're using their skills in the sales methodology. So it, it, if you implement all four of the systems, it will, in fact, get down to that level. Okay. Well, I urge people to go check out Mike's post and his articles on LinkedIn, uh, talking about his uh, linked systems to transfer or transform your sales results with a systems approach. And how many? There are four parts already. When we're recording this, I I took away that there's going to be more. Oh, one we have one's coming. I've done the overview, selection, selling, learning, and I've got the sales management system yet to publish. Okay. Well, good. Well, people should check that out. In the meantime, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Uh, tell people I can find out more about you or connect with you. Uh, MikeKunkel.com, or you can just find me on LinkedIn at uh, LinkedIn slash in slash MikeKunkel, K-U-N-K-L-E, all one word. Um, come, and, uh, come and ask to connect. Uh, let me know that you heard me here uh, on Andy's show, Accelerate. Happy to do that. And uh, Mike at MikeKunkel.com if people have questions or want to talk about some of the system stuff. Excellent. Well, good. Mike, again, thanks for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Remember, join me again tomorrow right here. Until then, really appreciate if you get this minute. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review for Accelerate. I want to hear what you have to say about the show and help us make it better for you. And so thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 